Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the pod that shares the stories of those affected by suicide. Lost a loved one? Attempted it yourself? Did you know that when you share a burden, the load is lightened? Come listen in with your host, Elaine Lindsay. Suicide Zen Forgiveness, the podcast, is for education only. Some of the subject matter could be triggering for those that are newly grieving or in a poor state of mental health. Please call your local suicide hotline or mental health office if you need immediate help. My guest today is Andy Grant. He's known as the king of authenticity, and he's the founder of Real Men Feel. It's a movement encouraging men to come out of the emotional closet. Andy has been producing and hosting the Real Men Field podcast since February of 2016. He's a survivor of multiple suicide attempts, and Andy knows how low we as human beings can feel. He's committed to helping people realize how magnificent life is meant to be. And he has an Amazon bestseller, Still Here, How to Succeed in Life After Failing at Suicide. He's actually helped people all around the globe and includes everything he wished he knew at a younger age. And he's also a facilitator at mensgroup.com, a contributor at goodmenproject.com, and an initiate of the Modern Mystery School. Without further ado, here's today's guest. Hello there. Hello, Elaine. It's so good to have you on the show with me today. Thank you so much. We're here on Suicide Zen Forgiveness. And I'm honored to uh, chat with Andy Grant, who uh, there are so many things I could say that Andy's involved with. We just put a, a few of them in his uh, intro there because it's just so commendable that you have taken uh, a route to help so many other people. Yeah, th thank you. It's um, it's something I, sh I certainly did not realize when I was younger, but service is such a huge part of my enjoying life. Oh, you hit the nail on the head. And it's something that it takes some of us a long time to understand. Um, we kind of at times get in like a victim state and, and you, you lose sight of everything kind of outside of you. It's like you're constantly walking around with a mirror. On that note, why don't we just um, get to the heart of the matter and let's start where you started and we'll take it wherever you want to go from there. Well, where I started, let's see. Um, I, you know, it, it's interesting. I often, I've often felt that I was born suicidal. Like my suicidal thoughts and depression were beginning at such a young age. I, 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 I just thought, wow, I just came out of the womb feeling like I was sold uh, a, a bag of goods I wasn't interested in. <laughs> um, you know, my my parents were college and high school sweethearts. Uh, uh, they were dating. My mom got pregnant, so then they got married. Um, my dad worked full time and went to school full time, trying to make things work. 
but he was diagnosed with bipolar depression. He was uh, an alcoholic um, and they did not last long. And when my parents split up at that same time, about age four or five, a next door neighbor started molesting me. Oh. And that's when I really just started shutting down. I didn't think the world was a safe place. And I thought Pleasant. if I spoke up, I'd be the next man kicked out of my house. So I was an only child. It was just me and my mom. And I was always, she always, she always prayed to me like what a good boy I was. And I just knew how to behave and didn't, didn't make waves. And one thing my father all, always said was that high school were the best years of, of his life. So I thought, well, why would anyone go beyond the best years? So again, from a really young age, from like six, seven, eight years old, I had decided that I would end my life and I would not go beyond high school. Like, why would I sit around and struggle and have, be miserable through anything? But as, as my life unfolded and that worldview that, you know, life sucks, then you die. I, I certainly, I, I, I don't want to stress that, that I was like miserable all the time, but no. the good times, I thought that was the lie. That was the trick and being depressed and just feeling nothing but darkness. I thought that was reality. I, I thought happy, well-adjusted people were lying to themselves. I, I thought if anyone was honest with themselves, they'd be suicidal too. Like I thought it just made sense. Yeah. And, and, and it doesn't, and it took me a long time to, uh, you know, I was good in school, but this is a lesson I did not learn quickly. No. So my first attempt was about age 12 or 13. I had multiple attempts through, through uh, my teenage years. Um, my senior year in high school, as, as graduation approached, and these weren't the best years of my life, I, uh, I had an attempt that put me into kind of a medical coma for a few days, and then I was, I was committed to a mental hospital for over a month. And I had bad reactions to all the medication they put me on. So it was just, I, I felt more helpless and hopeless even when I did get help. Yeah. Right? So it, was, it was very, very challenging. Um, finally, after, you know, multiple, you know, so-called failed attempts, I, I just had really this, just this dark night of the soul moment. I had, I had tried to end my life in a way that I had tried previously and did not work. And I could see I'm just this, this futile attempt and I'm just trapped in this cycle because it was weird. Like making an attempt brought me some relief. Like, well, at least I tried something. I took some action. It wasn't positive action, but there was this relief from, from doing something. But I remember just curled up in the fetal position about like a major like 20 years old and just begging and pleading to God. Like there's, there's got to be a better way. Like, I'm, I'm not good at dying and I haven't been good at living. Yeah. That there must be another way. And for the first time in my life, I got this like really clear message from spirit, my higher self, whatever words you want to use, but that if you share your story, this will all be worth it. And that gave me, you know, the first time I had a glimmer of the hope of the possibility that maybe just maybe I'm supposed to be here and I'm not this broken mistake. Wow. It's... It's so interesting to me that when I talk to other people like us, there's often that it comes up in conversation, I was a mistake. I was a mistake. And it's just, it, it's such a, an odd thread to run through everything. It's part of why I do the podcast, because you are a prime example of what we don't do, and that's we don't give children enough of an education 
in how their brain works and how not every thought that runs through your head is true? Or is it something that you need to sit on? And my heart goes out to you. I totally understand the sexual abuse and being quiet about it because there's always that little nugget of, ooh, ooh, this is my fault. Somehow this is my fault. And you don't want to rock the boat. And there are a lot of children that have thoughts that are suicidal that nobody ever even thinks that they do. I mean, it, it probably came as a total shock to your mom the first time you made an attempt. Yeah. Like I said, I was, I was good in school. I was well-behaved. Nobody wanted to believe it. So w- when I made my first attempt, I remember my mom went to work that next day and I just stayed from school. And because nobody knew what to do about this. And yeah. Because, kind of because I was terrified like that, that I, I, I attempted to, to overdose and I woke up sick and throwing up and my mom heard and I told her what I had done and I was really scared. So I like, Oh no, I don't want this. I want to, I, you know, I want to live. Um, but the, you know, as I went older, as I got older, it was sometimes like, that's what I, I, I need to have this horrible experience so that I know I want to live. It's like, I kept testing fate and, or God or life itself. Yeah. And again, horrible, horrible path to travel. I, this is not, I don't recommend it. No, no, I don't either. And yeah, it's almost like, you know, uh, uh, adrenaline junkies go for getting that feel. Uh, those that have constant suicidal ideation, it, it's about kind of giving yourself a quick little reaffirmation that, yeah, maybe not right now. Yeah. Maybe I'll try one more time. And I, I think it's wonderful that there was enough of you inside that wanted to hang on. Because it is unfortunate that we do lose kids as young as 12, 10, 8. It's, you know, I think it's it's absolutely horrific. Uh, How long after that dark night of the soul did you come to understand you had a bigger purpose? So I got the glimpse of it then, and and it's it's always keeps unfolding. And I would have I would have doubts and not believe it. And that that at after co- and I would always make plans. You know, like I planned to die before high school. I planned then I I finally went to college and I planned to die before I graduated. I, I was I had this big fear of things ending, so I would try to like take myself out before uh-huh. whatever I was doing would end. Okay. And I didn't didn't realize that, but you know, and when I would see counselors or get help. I, again, I didn't think I was worthy of it. I thought I was so broken. So I'd give people enough to make them feel better. And yeah, okay. And I play along and, oh, we discovered something neat. Um, but I never really gave it all to somebody. Right. And again, it was horrible. I, it, it, <laughs> I, in hindsight, I wish I had the bravery to, yeah. to unload fully, to really let someone in. But it's so many years of feeling hopeless and helpless just were, you know, embedded in my brain that that rut of life sucks, then you die. And the best thing to do is to kill myself. And, you know, one thing I find that that suicidal people, it's often called like it's a, it's horribly a a selfish act. But when, when feeling that, when having those thoughts, I really believed that the people who love me would be better off with me gone. 
Yes. Right. Sure. You yeah. you might be upset for a few weeks. I get that, but yeah. you won't be worrying about me all the time. Like I know my my wife, and my mom, and the you know they, and even as a kid, I know I was watched like a hawk. Yeah. My yeah. my grandfather and great grandmother both died by suicide. So any emotional expression from me, I'm sure, triggered people all yeah. around. Yeah. Oh my God. And was your dad in your life? Yeah. There, so I'd see my dad uh, like every other weekend. And again, get, getting reinforced that high school was the best years of your life. And I would always hear this. And it yeah. wasn't until I was adult. I, I mean, it, as a kid, it didn't dawn on me, but my dad was 21, 20 years old saying this. He had, he had just had high school and then he was married and had a kid. So yeah, high school seemed great. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it really, I would, I don't think, I, I think I was like 35 before that math dawned on me. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, 21, I mean, how much do you have to look back? <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> that really is all there is. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a pact with a friend because we weren't going to get past 25. That just seemed like, what would there be after that? So it, it's actually more common yeah. than people realize that when you are suicidal from an early age, you do have these milestones that you, you give yourself until end of high school, until end of college, until, and, and that to me is that, that underlying thread for one that you can be reached. That, that you can, at some point, see that ray of hope and, and take yourself out of, of where you were. Yeah. So what's the, the first, I guess, purely positive thing you did for you after college? Wow. Immediately, there wasn't much. <laughs> so after college, I got I had my first job, and um, I ended up involved with a married woman, and having so I'm having an affair, and she was at least 15 years older than me. And there's people like, "This is I'm an adult. This is neat," I, you know. And then it wasn't, and it got gross and bad. And I was feeling suicidal. So I'm 22, 23 years old. I put myself into the hospital. So I did not make an attempt. And I thought, wow, such tremendous growth for this oh, one yeah. here. Um, but at, at that point, insurance was, like, I was just in an ER. Um, they, you know, I was there for just, I think, three days. And they said, wow, you're in this, these circumstances. So I, I was living with this married woman. And because she was married, it was secret. I couldn't answer the phone. It, it was, I was, my existence was being denied. It was covered up at work. And it was just a horrible place. And of course, oh. like, of course you're depressed. And sometimes depression is the perfect response to what you're going through. It, it doesn't always mean some, some mental Ab illness is happening. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. So what a yeah. pressure cooker you had yeah. yourself in. Yeah. So I, I got out of the hospital after just, you know, the three or four days and worked with a counselor that I liked and told him everything. And that was really when, my growth and healing truly started until then it was spits and spurts. Yeah. yeah. And did you stay with that counselor for long? Yeah. I ended up, uh, I think a year and a half, which was wow. the longest many terms yeah. for me. And then, but by then I had met, uh, 
uh, <laughs> I'm thinking, I just want to eat someone normal. And I did. And uh, so I started dating a, a woman and I moved from where I was to be with her and she wanted to be my wife and we've been married for 25 years. So Lovely. that those, those prayers for just someone normal, please <laughs> came, came through. Yeah. Um, but even then I, I remember in tears, but I was, we were engaged pretty quick. It, it, I've had those moments that I, I didn't think were possible. I remember being on the first date and hold her hand and got just like, this is the one. I was like, oh my God, like this is a real thing. I thought this was this mythology. So it was really fabulous and I'm loving life and feeling high. But then I knew like I had to tell her that, look, yeah. there, I will crash at some point. I've been, and, and it happened because I, I quit my job. I moved, I moved with her and maybe a month into it, you know, the, the wheels fell off and I was, I was depressed and miserable and thought everything had been a mistake. And, um, again, so I, with her urging, I again, found a local counselor. Um, I went on antidepressants again and, uh, you know, we just, because I had someone who believed in me, even when I didn't believe in me that really, all right, well, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get help for you. Even when I thought I was helpless and there was no point and I was just this loser and this proved that I was never going to be normal or healthy her trust and faith in me let me keep going wow. that that is awesome and i i truly believe you had reached out so many times you were finally ready to accept the gifts that whatever you call it god the universe whatever you call it was offering you yeah, I, I, I was not raised with any sort of religion. So I thought as a, I remember getting that there was a Cub Scout badge. I had to read the Bible. I'm like, you can't make me read the Bible. I'm an atheist. And I didn't even know how like, I just, I had no knowledge experience. So one of the greatest things I've discovered is, you know, I'm more than just this meat suit. Yeah. You know, doctors had told me I was like bad chemicals. They didn't say it could be fixed, cured, anything. Just said, oh, my brain's broken. And so the more I dealt with traditional medicine, the more hopeless I felt. Yeah. But to, to really have experiences that I'm more than this body, to have this sense of connection, to have this sense of, of, of energy and God, source, universe, again, the, the word doesn't matter. It's just that knowing that there's more than me. Yes. Yes. There is something greater than us. And when you got married, how long did that initial period last where you felt just hopeful probably a good long time um my wife's better than me <laughs> so I, I don't know if anyone else like this when when i'm really high or really low i get emotional tunnel vision so i can like can be so good like yeah I'm, oh yeah i was a suicidal but I, you know it, it seems like it was another person yeah. and when i'm depressed again i told as i said before like the good times were the lie like i as a kid i used to think that happy people were were up here they're really high and it was flat and they were just always happy. Everything was great. And I was just down in the basement flatlining the other way. Yeah. And, but I come to realize that no, like there's ups and downs in everyone's life and ups and downs are what make life. But as I got healthy, as I did the inner work, as I explored myself, my highs got higher and higher and my lows got higher and higher. So yeah. my, yeah. my worst day this year is better than my best day 10 years ago. Absolutely. Yeah. And ideally, that's the path for everybody's life. Yeah. And, and in all honesty, it's really important for people to understand that 
You don't want that flat line, not happiness, not unhappiness, nothing, because that leads to boredom, which leads to problems. And we need the highs and lows because humans by nature are comparative. We can't appreciate the highs without some lows. Right. Yeah. And I'm a big amusement park and roller coaster junkie. Yeah. And and I love that thrill. And and I realize like I can't be depressed in the front row of a roller coaster. No. Like, there's nothing that puts you in the moment more than than a thrill ride. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's that's what really made me question, like, because I, I remember the the first time I was in the hospital for a long time. And I was, you know, you're, you're clinically depressed and it's, it's all chemistry. And I would sit there and on a TV, the Simpsons were on and I was laughing at Homer Simpson. I'm like, well, if I'm clinically depressed, how can I be laughing right now? How can, how can I go from, I wanted to die yesterday. I'm still alive. And now I'm able to laugh at things. Like it, it just didn't, I've, I've got to be more than just chemistry. Absolutely. And, and that, yeah, that's another really good piece. We're not either or. There are such gradations and nuances in every moment for us. You know, never mind every day. Every moment is colored by your surroundings, the people that you're with, uh, and and the thoughts that you allow yourself to think. Yeah. Yeah, and that was a, a big lesson for me, too, that I can choose my thoughts. I can change, like, again, I was taught that I was at the mercy of my thoughts and emotions, that they were just out of control. I had nothing to do with them. And as I realized and learned that wasn't true, and, you know, it takes effort at first, but we all can change our minds and just like, oh, I'm I'm feeling this because I'm thinking, one time this really got driven home for me. I was sitting on my bed, looking out a window and seeing a tree in my yard. And every time I looked outside, I just imagined myself hanging from that tree and it would feel horrible. My dog came in, he put his head on my lap and had a ball in his mouth. And he wanted to play. And I like looked at him and pet my dog Homer and I smiled and I felt immediately better. And that's when I'm like, wait a minute, I just felt horrible. Now I feel better. And I went back and forth and like, see, imagine myself hanging, playing with my dog. And I would feel my mood energy change so abruptly and quickly. I'm like, well, I'm way more in charge than I thought. <laughs> so Again, it, with with those neurons that are firing the most, that that truly that rut in my brain, it was easy to fall into that old thinking, that trap. Yeah. And it takes effort, but if you have a new thought and feel better, even for a microsecond, that proves it worked. You just got to keep consciously choosing that over and over. And that, um, I made fun of positive affirmations and mirror work and gratitude journaling. I thought I'm I'm not going to be the guy writing in my little diary about my ideal boyfriend and things. I just thought these were like things that little girls did. I do them all daily now, right? I, I made fun of everything I do that makes me have a joyous life. I made fun of it until I tried it and I experienced it and I saw results. Absolutely. Uh, that's, that's the difference. When we can get ourselves to try it, to just try that piece. And I think it, it's, it's difficult for children who are abused because secrecy is the cloak that keeps you going and it's not it's not a good look on anybody yeah Yeah. it it, it doesn't really it doesn't keep us it keeps us going in a dysfunctional way yeah yeah Yeah. and and you know it it doesn't it doesn't keep us it doesn't have the longevity that opening up 
and putting everything out in front of us has. It's those secrets that that eat away at, at any happiness you try to have. Yeah. And, and, and when, when, when I was a kid, nobody, the only time I heard people talk about suicide was in mental hospitals, yeah. which made me seem even crazier. Yeah. So now I, that that's why I, I first went public and talk about this to make it more common. Yes. Because the thoughts are horribly common. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So many people think this way and, and, I, I joke that I, I'm an incredibly slow learner because I talked about everything to do with this. And I talked about the gift I received from my friend who took her life when, when I was 16. But up until last year, I never talked about my attempts. I never, ever said anything. And it was for a different reason because... The only one I have left is my father. And uh, my father recently turned 90. Yeah, but my father was on social media. And, you know, some, some family members were on social media. And I didn't want to cause him more pain. And yet, here I am finally realizing with all the guests that I have on the show, we're better off to bring it out in the open and let people know because people can't truly help us or truly understand us until we're real about all the things that we are. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was always sure that if anybody knew the real me, they would run. Yes. Yeah. yeah. If anyone knew how dark my thoughts were, how much I hated myself, I would be friendless. My family would abandon me. I just thought, yeah. We, again, if, if you're suicidal, you probably think the worst outcome for so many situations. Oh, absolutely. And like, I, I'm a lot older than you. When, when I was young, I worked in a mental institution. I volunteered there for a number of years from the time I was 12. And when I was 15, I got a chance to work there for the summer. But as it turns out, a young man that I used to take the bus with, who was in a home for wayward boys because he used to run away, the stepfather beat his mother and the kids. One day, fourth day, I'm at the place to work, and I run into him, and I said, oh, my God, Michelle, I didn't know you were going to work here, too. And he said, what do you mean, work here? I live here. And it... You could have knocked me over with a feather because in my head, with all the suicidal ideation and the horrible thoughts and how much I hated me, it was like, oh my God, all he did was run away. If I tell anybody anything in my head, I'm going to end up here. And I've sat on that <laughs> since, I think it was 1971. You know, and, and it's, it's, it's sadly funny that had I expressed why it bothered me, we could have dealt with it. You know, I'm sure my parents would have made some kind of commentary that would have said, well, no, that's not what happens. And what do you mean? You have not great thoughts. But back then you didn't. You didn't tell people because the stigma the shame and the silence around suicide 
was, you know, so pervasive. So much younger, I think it's wonderful that you were able to get help and that younger people and especially men are starting to understand, you know what, let's reach out. Let's talk to somebody and try and change our situation. Yeah, on Real Men Feel, one of the things I say most often is that silence kills men. It does. And and often the bravest thing you can do is ask for help. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes, you know, I say if at first you ask somebody and you don't get, give it another try. Don't stop at one. Right. Yeah. Because it can be traumatizing and triggering for, to be told that too. Like yeah. I, I lost, I lost a lot of friends who just couldn't comprehend me trying to die. Yeah. And, and one thing I tell, like, especially if, if you lose a, a friend or a family member, there's so much like, but why, why did they do it? I don't understand. And I always say, be glad you don't understand. Right. If you've never seriously thought about ending your own life, you won't get it if someone else does. And that's great. I wish more people were in that place that this makes yeah. no sense to me. I cannot understand it. Good. You don't need to, you don't need to step into the shoes. You don't need to feel it because, because it was a mistake, right? Let your lack of understanding why someone dies reinforce to stay alive, yeah. right? Just see, they made a mistake. There's nothing I could have done. They made their choice, but it, yeah, to, to trying to understand it, you know, I, I always suggest don't waste your energy. It's, it's not worth being in this space. No. And it can drive you crazy. Yeah. 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 And going back, and sometimes I speak at at suicide support groups, and I'll always have moms asking me and treating me like I'm their son who's gone, and it's yeah. been amazing. But oh, yeah. for my mom, you know, my mom loved me and was supportive, would have done anything. So I kept it. I kept things from her because yeah. you know it's it's uh, parents can't can't really can't win because I no. either they support me and love me. I'm like, well, of course, it's my mom. She has to. But then if they ever turn on me, oh, even my mom doesn't support me now. So like this, no matter what they do, that are my twisted thinking will twist that and make it a negative. Oh, absolutely true. And and even even, you know, the parents who try to be the best parents. Okay, we as children, we don't come with a handbook. There is no instruction manual. You no, know, it doesn't matter, you know, if your parents were helicopter parents or they were overprotective or they were absent and they let you do what you wanted. We as humans always want the opposite of what we had. And it's it's just a I guess a, a failing of human nature that until we understand how valuable happiness is. We're just not happy necessarily with what we have. Yeah. And for me, I find it's once I could accept that happiness could be my natural state. It wasn't the lie. It wasn't the illusion. And you could be happy and sad. You could be happy and depressed. Like it, it's the, the emotions aren't exclusive either. That's right. That's right. Oh, that's such a good point. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. It's not one or the other. And yeah, in the same moment, minute, um, again, this, I talked about roller coasters earlier, like yeah. life is meant to be that it's not meant to be like, you know, manic and out of control, but that you can go from 
feeling sad about something, to enjoying the beauty of something, to laughing about something, to having tears about something, all in the same moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something that I find, and I'm sure you do too, doing the podcast when we when we get to share the stories of those that we've lost, when we name them and, and share the memories. Yeah, that roller coaster of emotion is just high speed, the big drops and what have you. But it's better than not having it. Yeah, right, right. So much better. Yeah. And and, and so many people are afraid to feel. Yeah. I remember my... Uh... Boy, it might be about 10 years now. My my stepfather passed away and my mom went on antidepressants. Hmm. I'm like, why? She's like, oh, I was sad and upset. I'm like, yeah, you're a human. You know, that's that's grief. Like we're we're we've been so trained or from pharmaceutical ads or whatever to to like there should be just this middle row. We're supposed to be these robots and not feel much. But no, it, there's a full range of human emotions and they all serve us. And as a as a teenager. Um, losing my friend, I was pulling myself into myself. Unlike you who shared with your mom that you were suicidal, I hid everything. And when when you start hiding, it's really hard to come out of that. And the whole point was, I didn't want to feel. I know what your mother felt like, because it was, I, I know these, oh, these hurt. These emotions are horrible. I do not want to feel them in any way, shape, or form. And I tried everything there was to stop my emotions. Did it for a while. Never lasted. And yeah, I mean, that would, again, you'd, you'd be a zombie. Yeah. You'd be uh, alive yes. technically only. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I, I slowly learned that. When I'm willing and able to feel whatever emotion shows up, the moment it shows up, the, the negative emotions pass easy, right? It, but yeah. it's when I want to stuff and deny, no, I shouldn't feel that. When I try to judge things, that's when I get in trouble. And I learned that the average emotion has a, I think it's a nine to 16 second lifespan. Right. So it's not forever. It's just short. And when you allow them and let them go, it's amazing how quickly and how wonderfully we can move on. Yeah. On the other side of every so-called negative or painful emotion is always a better feeling. There's light at the end of it all. And it's it's the insistence and the fighting, the resistance against it. I'm not good enough. This is how I'll always be. You know, that's what keeps us in it. We don't really let it pass through us because it's, it's just an energy. Absolutely. And, and that the pain that comes along with those thoughts and all the negativity and, and all of that, if you just let yourself feel that emotion for those nine seconds, you can move right on out of the pain yeah. and make it about being happy. Yeah. There are so many times I, I was sure like, oh, if I start crying now, I'll never stop. Yet I've always stopped. And there's that phrase, a good cry. Because a cry is good. Like it, it, it helps us. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah, it's funny how, how many people are, are, or used to be so um, proud of the fact that they don't cry. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't show emotion. 
Okay, well, how was how that good? And, and there were times, I'm sure you as well felt the same thing that, yeah, it was better to just leave them far away. No, actually, so at like 13, 14, 15, I could feel this like misery in me and I didn't know what it was. Didn't I had no memory of the abuse or anything. And I would wow. alone, far underage, get drunk so that I could cry. Yeah. And that was like, I have, that was my self-medication. That was my therapy. I could only sob when I was drunk. Um, and that's what I used it for. Like I didn't, you know, I was drinking earlier than some of my peers. And I remember, you know, years later, I did ended up going through AA. And as my parents were like, they put me in a drug rehab when I wasn't on drugs. Like people, people told me I had the addictive personality and I just skipped the substance. I went all straight to the, the negative effects of it without using anything. Wow. Um, like, oh, like, I'm advanced, I guess. But, uh, but again, I, I, so I wanted to feel better. I was just searching for tools and keeping it a secret though. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. And, and at what point did the abuse come out? I was 19 years old. I was in a mental hospital and there was a class about sexual abuse and I just started getting flooded with memories and images and I, I thought I was losing my mind. Um, but then the a whole picture came through and the, the time frame and what was happening. And I, I remember the, a family meeting with my, both my parents came and like, I only, my mom and dad only got together when I had tried to kill myself. Like, they were, you know, that's like, Oh, I, I must've done it again. I, I remember waking up in hospital, seeing both of them like, Oh, it's serious now. Um, yeah. but I, I remember them, me, they had me tell my, my parents about it. And I remember thinking that, well, now I know it, uh, everything's fine now. Cause I know what happened and everything wasn't fine. It just, yeah. I just knew more, but the, you know, the trauma, the year, the effects it had on me took, I was going to say forever one pack. And may, maybe that's accurate. I feel unpacked, but maybe there's more, <laughs> but I also, you know, this is like the early nineties and all, maybe all through the eighties, there was all these news things about kids making up and false memories and all this stuff. And that, yes. that, all, that bugged me. So it, when I was like 32, I went to a hypnotist and asked to be brought back to my, being five years old to see if I was really molested. And I don't recommend that. I like really, no. it was, I got way more. It, it took her a long time to get me back. Even after snap your fingers, like I was like, I'm not here. I feel horrible. And it, I was in her office for at least an hour of her to say, pick up that pen, trying to get me more present. And it took a long time, but yeah, there was, all right, there, there was no, I'm not making this up or, or I'm making it up so elaborately, even hypnotism is making me relive it. But, uh, but yeah, and I had to like, again, the, the media can give us so many weird messages and instead of just trusting ourselves, but. Well, yeah. Yes. That's why gaslighting works. Yeah. 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 Sadly. I'm sorry about that. So, someone must be walking on the street because the other dog is barking. Pardon us. <laughs> um, but I'm very safe in my home. <laughs> uh, they're chihuahuas, so that's actually a big joke. So I I realize that that you have other things to do today, and I, I don't want to uh, keep you over time, although I could probably talk to you for hours. Uh, one thing I'd like our audience to know is you are a prolific author, and uh, I think it's really important. the the one The one book, of course, has to do uh, with suicide, but the other books I think are wonderful. And the fact that you wrote a book, you and your dog, 
I think that's just fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the, the, again, cause there's, there's a special bond. I, I, there's a special bond between men and dogs because I, and no many men I've met, our dogs see us at our worst. We don't hide things from our dogs. My dog saw me depressed and sobbing way more than any other human did. And when he was suddenly gone, I was devastated. And so it began as a blog post. I expanded into that. It was just the, I think it was the six, the six or eight life lessons I learned from my dog, Homer. Uh, Hay House picked it up. So me and Homer are featured in a Louise Hay book as well. Yes. Oh, there's, wow. Yeah. You can heal, you can heal your heart. And it's all about grief and loss. And there's a chapter on pets. And the Andy and the Homer in that book is me and my oh. dog Homer. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So I, and again, it just shows that you don't know what moment of your life can live on and make an impact on others. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So if I just kept my pain inside and just let myself go into depression and negativity, and I've even lost my dog, there's no point to anything. But no, I, I wrote about, I chose to focus on the positives of that situation. And, and we're very thankful that you did. Me too. You'll be able to find all of the important links uh, to find Andy uh, on the page with the podcast. We'll make sure in all the notes we have all of the links. Uh, there are a lot of books that you can take a look at and uh, your your two, um, or sorry, three, The Good Men Project and the, the Mystery, this I, I have to ask. The Modern Mystery School. The, the Modern Mystery School. It was not what I first thought. So well, how did you find it and let the audience know what it's about? The Modern Mystery School is ancient teachings, wisdoms, and healings going back over 3,500 years to the time of King Solomon, the wise King Solomon of the Bible. And I just, so I, I discovered energy work in 2008. I became certified and took training 2010, became an energy coach. And because it, it was energy and meditation that I finally, oh my God, I'm really more than my body. And, and I discovering my intuitive gifts and, and empathy, which was something, everything I curse as a child, I found it is, are actually gifts. So I experienced in 2016, something called a life activation, just because I had met someone and they said, I love your energy. You should meet this person. And we met and I like trying new things and different modalities. So I got a life activation, which again is this thousands year old tool and it can only be done in person it was about 90 minutes long and it connects it connects you with your divine blueprint it connects you more to your higher self it it truly brings more light into your dna wow. and it during it i have like i don't know what this is but i know i'm gonna learn this and i did so i had a complete career shift my real men feel podcast started the month after it until that time i just i'm supposed to do something for men i feel called to do something for men i don't know what it's going to be after that life activation, oh, podcast, calling it Real Men Feel, boom. Um, so it's been phenomenal. And there's, as an ancient mystery school, there, there were seven ancient mystery schools. This is the only one that's open to the public, but they go back on and on. They used to be, you know, you were watched and spotted, invited to come in and had to like scrub the floor for years and to prove yourself worthy. And anyone familiar with the Marvel Universe, Dr. Strange. Yeah. Yes. yes, he was niche. That was a that was a mystery school he went to in Tibet to begin his journey. 
and watching those movies, I'll see books. I know that book. I recognize that name. And it's so it's really, it's powerful and healing. So yeah, I've gone further and further in my journey. So I'm, I'm a certified healer. Uh, this year, I've become a guide and a teacher with the mystery school. And it's all about knowing yourself and living a joyous life. And again, as we both talked about earlier, service being a tremendous part of that. Yes. And absolutely. And, and I, I'm sure you can attest to the fact that serving another is probably the purest form of joy there is. Yeah, it really is. And nothing can get me out of my negative mindset than focusing on someone else. Absolutely. And everyone you meet is a mirror of you. Right. And so when, when, when you can see something beneficial in another, when you can see something that you want to shine a light on, someone to help someone, it's because you have that as well. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's so good. Well, the last thing I'm going to ask you is if you only had one thing you could leave the audience with, one thing you, you want to offer them that either a little tip they can use or, or something, a meditation they could use, something like that, what would it be? Mm. Well, I resisted meditation for years until I tried it, but I just want to, meditation isn't just sitting cross-legged on a mountain. Meditation can be as simple as three deep breaths. And that can change your state, can change your energy, can change your mood. So just give yourself the gift of trying the things you've resisted. They don't have to be overly complicated. Just, yeah, shut your eyes, take three deep breaths. Do, do it at every red light you come to when you're driving, right? Do it before you, as you're feeling, ah, oh, you just want to snap people. Just, I'm just going to, you know, give yourself 30 seconds. You can still snap, but give yourself 30 seconds first. Just three deep breaths. It can, it can change your life. Oh, that is so good. I totally agree. On that note, thank you so much, Andy Grant, for being my guest today. I really appreciate it. And thank you for joining us here at Suicides and Forgiveness. I look forward to the next time we get together. And in the meantime, make the very best of your today, every day. I'll see you again soon. Thank you for listening. Please subscribe on your favorite service. Suicide Zen Forgiveness was brought to you by Truel Social Media, the digital integration specialists. Let them get you on page one in the search results.